So, man, great question. But here's the thing. I think we all get we're caught up in this like um, culture of like cancel culture. And yeah. I'm not here to point fingers at you if you got the word wrong. I'm not here to do that. But I will answer the question. Sympathy is you coming on the show, like you said, and saying, I don't know. But will you talk? That's sympathy. Empathy is like, I feel you. I'm going through it. I'm walking with you. Yeah. That's not what you said. See, you got it right. Even yeah. though we're in this crazy culture of if you get the word wrong, I blast you on social media. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Hey everyone, welcome to Better Wealth Live. And in today's episode, uh, we're going to actually cover something that's been deep on my heart. Um, as it's no, it's no mystery what's been going on in our country. And as someone who's comes from a, a conservative Christian background, my my initial reaction was just to be silent, pray, pray quietly, and just really support people behind the scenes. And throughout the week, I was I've, I've, I know I've been given a platform and I really was touched by a friend that you're gonna hear from in a video. And I thought the best context for this whole video is not, not to read into this too much, but to really, to really uh, I just, I want you to know my heart in this is like coming to the table and having ears to hear and really being open to to what's going on in the world and then asking the question what can i do what can we do to truly rise up and and help help our country help our brothers and sisters um, who are feeling who who are who are hurting right now and so um, i we're going to i'm going to have a conversation with jeremiah do and and my my goodness you guys this guy is amazing um he's got some really cool views as it relates to money and that's we're going to talk about the the we're going to talk about some really important things around money and viewpoints and how this impacts um just what we've seen the last week uh, but also uh, he's got a lot he's got a big uh, background in social justice in um this idea and i'm gonna let him kind of talk a lot more about his his background and history um but he just has a heart for social justice he has a heart for doing the right thing. And so he's been on my heart. I reached out to him. He said yes to this interview last minute. Um, so before I tee up Jeremiah, I actually want to play his uh, his video that has went viral. It has over 50,000 views on social media. And I think that will be a good place to tee this up. And then you guys, I, I appreciate your grace and understanding as this, this uh, interview is gonna be something, a new world for me, but it's something that I feel really called to just listening and and and, just coming to the table with open hands. So if, uh, if we can tee up the video, uh, we, can, we can watch it and then hear from Jeremiah. When we have our march, you need to be there for me. One day a man came to Jesus and he wanted to raise some questions about some vital matters of life. At points he wanted to trick Jesus and show him that he knew a little more than Jesus knew and throw him off base. Now that question could have easily ended up in a philosophical and theological debate. But Jesus immediately pulled that question from midair and placed it on a dangerous curve between Jerusalem and Jericho. And he talked about a certain man who fell among thieves. Now you remember that a priest and a Levite passed by on the other side. They didn't stop to help him. But then a man of another race came by. He got down from his beast decided not to be compassionate by proxy, but he got down with them, administered first aid, and helped the man in need. Jesus ended up saying this was the good man. This was the great man, because he had the capacity to project the I into the thou and to be concerned about his brother. Now you know we use our imagination a great deal in trying to determine why the priest and the Levite didn't stop. The times we say they were busy going to a church meeting, an ecclesiastical gathering, and they had to get on down to Jerusalem so they wouldn't be late for their meeting. At other times, we would speculate that there was a religious law that 
one who was engaged in religious ceremonials was not to touch a human body 24 hours before the ceremony. And every now and then we begin to wonder whether maybe they were not going down to Jerusalem, down to Jericho rather, to organize a Jericho Road Improvement Association. That's a possibility. Maybe they felt that it was better to deal with the problem from the causal root rather than to get bogged down with an individual effect. But I'm, I'm going to tell you what, what my imagination, imagination tells, tells me. me. You know, it's possible that those men were afraid. You see, the Jericho Road is a dangerous road. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the Bloody Pass. And it's possible that the Levite and the priest looked over that man on the ground, and they wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking, and that he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, to lure them there for quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the question before you. Not if I stop to help, what will happen to my job? Not if I stop to help, what will happen to all of the hours that I usually spend in my office every day and every week? The question is not if I stop to help the man in need, what will happen to me? The question is, if I do not stop to help, what will happen to them? Let us rise up tonight with a greater readiness. Let us stand with a greater determination. And let us move on. In these powerful days, these days of challenge, to make America what it ought to be. We have an opportunity to make America a better nation. And I want to thank God once more for allowing me to be here with you. Jeremiah, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Caleb. I'm glad to be here, my friend. Thank you. You know, one one of the things I I really admire about you is in in this time of craziness. I've I it's been fun to see you and how you've shown up and your love for for the Lord, your love for people, your love for um just getting this message out, but also we connected at a financial conference. You're you're doing we, some really impressive things about money and and I don't I want to talk about that secondarily. Like this this shows all about money, but I I I don't want to be the person that passes over things that need to be shared. Um, I even in full transparency, we've had conversations that are like, I don't even know what to say because I've seen, I've seen people have the heart to want to serve, but then say the wrong thing and get, you know, get, you know, like shamed. And yet I don't want to not say anything. So I'm here. I want you to know that here's a platform. I want to be here to listen. I want to humbly come, um, here and I'm excited to talk about I talk about what your video is about, but then I also want to talk about money and, and some solutions. 10-4. Well, appreciate you having me, man. Um, yeah, this past week um, and this past month in uh, the climate, cultural climate of uh, the U.S. has been real crazy. No one has is doubting that, but I think what is going on is many people in the dominant culture, the majority, lots of them are asking themselves introspective questions right now just like yourself. I appreciate you reaching out. And that's what's powerful is, um, you know, attending um, a rally, a protest, a march um, means one thing. Looting and rioting means something else. Um, but at this time, what is being more obvious to me than ever before is that folks are asking themselves, after seeing horrific videos in the last couple of months, Georgia, Minnesota, um, with police, uh, vigilante justice, that style of thing. They're asking themselves, wait a minute, this does look like a systematic problem. And they're admitting that um, as, as a group, as a whole. But, you know, on a personal level, let's get down to what we can do one on one. And instead of looking forward for new political solutions only, 
You know what I did? I looked backward 50 years to a man who had given his very last speech to a group of people in Memphis. And he looked back 2000 years to ask of a parable from a, a prophet who claimed to be the son of God. What is the one question we need to be asking? And even when Jesus gave that story, he was talking about someone who came to him and they asked him, what's number one? Number one is love God. Number two is love other people. And then that person started asking a bigger question and it showed his heart. Well, who exactly is my neighbor? And what's beautiful about that story is that was it a political answer that Jesus gave? Was it like this is a legislative issue? Was it a religious issue or were the religious people the ones who were at fault? But on a personal level, a person who is an opposite socio-racial connection to the victim asked themselves an internal question. And that's what Jesus, someone who we look as this great religious figure, um, uh, a prophet, potentially some of us out there actually think this person was the son of God. But he said the religious and the politics are not, that wasn't even in his story. He talked about a personal answer that somebody gave, uh, that someone asked themselves and, they, and then they showed up with their, um, with their actions. So I appreciate you having me on here to do that, man, and, and talk about it. Once again, yeah, we met talking about money and, um, and we're going to do that today as well. But man, this is a beautiful time for a lot of people to be introspective and to ask questions. I've been blessed being in Greenville, South Carolina, where I live on the East Coast, but really forget East, it's South, okay? South, if you know what that means. And uh, I was able to attend the, uh, uh, a demonstration this weekend, this Sunday. I made that video and a lot of people are talking to me. And it's been wonderful to uh, try to bridge gaps, to help people see, uh, be reminded of, or just blow their mind. System, I'm not accusing you of being racist. I am accusing the system for being racist. And I can prove that to you through X, Y, and Z, perhaps. And so let's have a conversation about right. that. So thanks, man. Yeah, I would like to go to the One Black History Theater Experience, um, <laughs> learn a little bit more about OneVoiceShow.com. And even when we met, it, you've been doing this for the last 10 years, correct? Yeah, man. 10 years of, from, of my show. And, and so can you explain a little bit of the show? And just, and just again, as I'm here to listen, can you give us a – I know it's 90 minutes, I believe. But, like, what is – what what when people hear this what are what's the common response and can we summarize that and then sometime man i maybe would like to get the whole 90 minutes on on the podcast um, sure it, sure it, it, it's impressive what you do um but I, yeah so i would love to hear a little bit more about that i think that will set the stage of just understanding history and where you're coming from and and where we can you know just have better understanding Great. One Voice, a Black History Narrative is my one-man theater experience. So it's one person, nobody else to blame it on if I forget what words I'm supposed to say. So yes, it's a bunch of memorization and videos that take us back to about 180 plus years of Black American history through about eight different iconic Afro-American voices, Black folks that we all know from Frederick Douglass, MLK, um, right there doing the dream speech at the Lincoln Memorial. Muhammad Ali, Barack Obama. So what I do is I embody these characters and I dress up and become them. We see videos that introduce who these people are, why they're significant. And then I come out, you actually hear the man, A. Philip Randolph, who introduced Martin Luther King to the steps of the Lincoln Memorial for his remarks. That's all that speech was called, remarks in 1963. And then curtain opens, I come out, and I do the dream speech as we know it today. So all these things are in my head, and, um, and uh, that's the experience. And the real big question, I love that you asked it up front, is what is it? This is not a political commentary, similar to what you just saw from me. I was uh, utilizing what I know to be historical context, to be religious context, and applying that looking through that lens to what the culture is today. Not taking culture and then making it my religion, taking my spiritual thoughts and ideologies from some standards that are much older than me and then looking at culture and seeing what I figure out. So in that sense, my show as well is not about commentary. So you will never hear J. Du's opinion. You'll never hear me talk as me. You hear the other people and then we go away with the title, One Voice. It's these people did what they could at their time with their one voice 
and their life to impact positive change, do what they thought was right. I'm not even asking you to agree with it. What I'm saying is what should you do and what can you do with your one voice? When, when you look at, when you look at the history, what has been some of the turning points for you? Cause I know you've done a ton of study and actually like, how cool is it? Like, I can't even memorize two sentences. Like you, <laughs> that, that would be, I'd be scared out of my mind, by the way. I'd be like, Oh man. Uh, well, number one, I got to say, everybody, you know, kind of thinks that. So number one, what we're most scared of is sitting still long enough to get it in your mind. OK, so uh, that's that's hard. So we got to quiet the world around us to try to put that much in. So, yeah, uh, some of these speeches are 10, 15 minutes long. That's a lot of words. And um, so it did. You know, it takes some time and some discipline to get it in your mind. Um, but uh, the turning points for me um, is really uh, so my my family, actually, my, my background it, my, historically as a person is not social justice at all. So I did theater, I did acting. So hopefully you can see some, hopefully some talent when I'm up on stage. But um, my family was military family and we traveled places, we lived overseas. I've lived in, um, the largest city I've ever lived in was in Germany. I've not even lived in a bigger city in America. And um, you're a foreigner in that place, you know, but uh, California living a couple places there. And that's left, that's liberal, that's uh, different than the South and, and Greenville, South Carolina, where I live and have a family now. But um, what's interesting to me is realizing that the systematic issues were so prevalent in certain communities and areas. And this is on both sides of the fence. So it's not just about oppression. I'm not trying to give you, I'm not trying to tell you that I'm a victim. What I'm trying to say is that systematically, since the 1400s and the transatlantic slave trade about the 1500s, 1600s, um, there has been a systematic oppression of African descent people in this country. And it's wild how it still manifests today. So if you break down the families, if you take away people, we deal with something very specifically in wealth that family is a part of it. And if you break down the family, how, for instance, the wealth dissipates and goes away. And uh, to see how Jim Crow and obviously segregation and all those things have played into where we are now. And then for folks to be uh, of the majority or dominant culture to be so dismissive at times that it exists. And I really think right now, which is the beauty of me being here with you, is that I think now many people are seeing that it has always been there. And they're at least asking, because I'm not here to accuse you of being racist, but I'm saying you may have profited from a system that has oppressed me as just because of color for a long time. And I was born into a system that already existed and so were you. So it's not you that I have to blame. It is a system, but a system is not a person. So what do we do? Because we are people who can change systems. So what do we do to move forward? Right. And I just, can we, can we start naming some of the problems that we see? Like, I, and I don't want to assume <laughs> in anything like that. And again, like, sure. and here's, and, and just full biased, I go, my, sometimes my initial reaction is going, yeah, like the, it depends on who you listen to. And I don't think you and I would e say like a, a blanket statement across the board, like all police are blank, you know, of course, so, but, of course. but it's super clear that there's injustice going on in our country. So can we, can we put a name on that? And sure, then, yeah. and then I want to go into solution mode, but I, I really don't want to just like pass over. Cause here's what I, here's what I'm seeing. And I'm seeing this in my own life as well is like, I don't even think like, what did Nelson say in, in his book? If you don't know the problem, the solution, you don't know the solution. So it's like, for instance, it's like saying we have a money problem. We have a money problem and going right into the solution saying here, read my book, do this strategy, do this strategy. But if you don't actually, if you can't diagnose the issue, then you're literally just painting over, uh, or maybe that's not a bad word, like you're patching up a something that should actually, like the problem is it's just going to keep coming back. And so what I don't want is to, for two weeks later, everyone goes back to normal and everyone right. kind of feels good about themselves because they made a post on social media or, and I, I like, you're a brother. I, you know what I'm saying? So what is, oh, what yeah. is the, what is the, what are things that you're highlighting right now that are an issue? And, and then next question would be, what can we do about it? Um, 
those those are my next two questions. Yeah, great, great questions, man, and great, great foundation to start from. So, number one, the the issue is that we're not getting the second great commandment right, and that second great commandment that has been around for millennia, asking us that question is. Um, are you loving your neighbor as yourself? And how do you do that, right? How do you do that as gets into maybe the future and now and the politics of it, right? Um, how does a government do that or something like that? But the question is um, about love. And then the second thing I would say in a Western world, we deal with something strategically that is specifically Western, North American, American Canadian. And I would say in that context is the answer um, historically, if you go back far enough and you research things, the answers and the questions are, is government supposed to fix it? That's the question that I want to have with people who maybe think like me with money and don't think like me um, socially or politically. Was government supposed to answer it? So here's another problem. We have a two-party system, basically, in this country. We all know that, right? So you got to remember that there's 350 million of us, and we got two dudes up here going at it that I'm like, these are the best two we got? Okay. So, uh, you know, and you know what I'm saying. Everybody thinks the same thing because no normally if you stick with one, you the other one's crazy. Well, I mean, come on now. They both. Come on now. So, Here's my question. Is government the answer? So if you go back far enough, if you have a conservative background, if you have a Judeo-Christian background, as you say you do, as I do as well, my question is, did the master come to solve a political problem? I don't remember him talking about a political problem. I remember him saying, uh, strate strategically enough, in the wealth we talk about, he talked about render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He held up a coin and said, who's, who's on it? He said, I'm here for a different kingdom completely. So if we are down here going back and forth in social media and, and, and CNN and Fox talking about something that's not what he was talking about as people who would consider themselves um, having a, a, a background of um, a philosophical background in like um, spirituality or Christianity or or you know that type of thing. My question is, when when was our model to take care of that politically? So I'm a person who believes in um uh, in a conservative biblical view, and see that might be weird because hey, you know the people who look like me are not normally in that. Maybe you don't think they're normally there. But my question is, didn't we see a model when you think about somebody of the Old Testament? You think of somebody about Daniel. Most people know from little Sunday school classes, Daniel in the lions, right? Daniel in the lions den. Why did he get thrown in the lions den? Well, he got thrown in the lions den because he wasn't obeying the law. He was doing a personal protest civilly by praying. But here's my question. What was Daniel's job? Was he not? a prime minister of a very terrible political situation. Was he not a governor? Was he not a secretary of some sort of division? That's who he was. That's what he did all day. But that didn't even, so he, here's the thing. He was a very good person. I think we can agree on that. Yeah. He was a good person who was in what we would consider many people who probably, as you've mentioned and queued me up for your show, might say, well, he was on the wrong side of the politics. But I don't remember the story reflecting his poor political connection. That's not what it was about. It was about the question he asked himself when the law was unjust. And apparently was, well, I don't obey the unjust ones. And he went right back to doing what he does. It's an interesting question that we have to ask ourselves, I think, all the time, because here's the thing. I think because I have a higher calling than just my country or my politics, I think you and I can be on completely opposite sides of the current political spectrum and still be able to get it on with each other just fine. Because that's not my main question. That's not my main question. Now, it's a question, but it's not my main one. So here's one thing that I want you guys to think about. I have to do the same thing. And I've had so many folks in the majority culture, the dominant culture the, um, in the last week check in with me is um, check in with your neighbor. Check in with your neighbor. I don't live in Minnesota. I don't live in Minneapolis. What happened is there looks very unjust. What happens there is very grieving to me of black community because of systems and looks like what is obvious. But at the same time, I got to check in with my neighbors. So I went down with my neighbors to my main street 
And I met the white sheriff in my, he was standing on the side of the road. We shook hands and it, it was great, you know, because I met my neighbors and, and it was a generally speaking, calm, civil, um, law abiding system. I mean, I shook the hands with, with the sheriff on the way by, he came up to me and, you know, no mask, nothing. He went right for the handshake. I haven't gotten a real handshake in a little while, man. So, yeah. So anyway, a little, a little about, a little about my philosophy about some of this. So going back to like the solution mode, if I'm reading in between the lines, you're saying if we're just trying to play politics here, we're always going to be frustrated, but it's an heart, it's a heart issue. And if you're talking to someone that might believe the same thing spiritually, that, that, 100% you can go back to the Bible for a country that I think we both can agree that potentially has lost its way. <laughs> I'm like, a lot of people would not, uh, they're not religious at all. They have, they want nothing to do with the Bible. They want nothing to do with um, maybe what they've grown up as. Then really the, the religion has to be politics, right? Is, and, I think so. The government, so the government of humanity, the government of uh, human rights, um, the the government of the Western world, perhaps the government of the socialist world, is what potentially governs their life. And um, you got to realize that uh, that ebbs and flows and sways, does it not? What was legal fifty years ago when MLK was in Memphis dealing with the uh, issues of the day why he gave that part of that speech, what we call now the mountaintop speech, the day before he was assassinated, was all that not legal locally? It, it was. Now the Constitution Declaration of Independence said differently, but locally, it was all legal. You go back a little bit further, and we're talking about Jim Crow, we're talking about segregation, we're talking about enslavement of people. Legal. So my question is, at what point does the government get it right? Government programs have been going down like crazy since about FDR, have they not? Which problems have they solved? <laughs> I mean, right? So, I mean, they're, they're here to help. They're here to adjust. They're here to fix things that were issues then. Some of them are still in place. But, I mean, is government solving your problem? Is your president, my president, his president, are they solving your problems? Is that how it's right. supposed to work? Yeah. You're you're talking to someone who I, I believe government makes things worse across the board. So it's it's almost like I I'm not necessarily think, um, regardless of your political views, that necessarily the government stepping in is going to make things better. Um yeah. I'm I'm moving on. Next question. What is your message to the black community? Um, it is right now, honestly, this is what I'm doing like crazy. If you, if you follow me on social or if you want to, um, at it's J do at I T S J D E W tons of education right now. I am being blown away at the sympathy being given, not empathy, which is nice right now, not empathy from the majority culture, but sympathy saying, I didn't know. I didn't understand. I'm listening. I, I mean, and once again, I'm not asking you to agree with everything, but I'm listening. I'm getting so much of that this week. And so I've been going ham right now in like Instagram stories, something some of you use, something that uh, some of you don't saying certain things about systematic things. And I got a lot, a lot of people hitting me up in the DM saying, wow, oh, no, crying emojis, thumbs up, whatever. And they're just responding to that. So the black community um, share that it is right now in a time of grief and for folks who are saying they're listening black blackout tuesday i thought that was very special across social media this past tuesday because people were saying they were listening so late in the day i had my first post well maybe i'll say something and they weren't joking many people were listening that's that so i i, I I'm, I'm i'm encouraged by that right now and secondly, is understand that um, reversing the racial issues, pointing fingers, doesn't help. Um, we were born into this problem. We were born into this problem culturally. Um, so, I mean, I'm not going to blame you. You you may have very terrible, potentially, you and your family may have very terrible social sins that were before you. But I'm, I can't blame you for them. That's not going to move us forward. So I would encourage the black community, um, even myself, to just um, understand that 
if I get better and you get better, we all get better. So I'll get better for you. If I get better, it's going to be better for you. If you get better, it's better for me. When I'm talking to people about money, I always say once we help someone start with a new path and a new plan and what we're teaching them, I remind them, hey, does your mom know about this? Does your cousin, does your brother know about this? Because if they get better, you get better. Now that you've gotten better, they can get better. Yep. Found people, find people. I What's the difference between empathy and sympathy? And are you, I, I had the understanding that ha having empathy is, is the route that you should go, but it sounds like in hearing from you, that's not the case. So what is the difference and what should, what should someone that wants to stand by your guys' side, but doesn't have context or maybe doesn't have a story? Like what is, what is the right solution or what has been, what do you think was one thing that um, someone like I can do to support people like you. Um, yeah. So man, great question. But here's the thing. I think we all get, we're caught up in this like um, culture of like cancel culture. And yeah. I'm not here to point fingers at you. If you got the word wrong, I'm not here to do that, but I will answer the question. Sympathy is you coming on the show, like you said, and saying, I don't know, but will you talk? That's sympathy. Empathy is like, I feel you. I'm going through it. I'm walking with you. Yeah. That's not what you said. See, you got it right. Even yeah. though we're in this crazy culture of if you get the word wrong, I blast you on social media. No, 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 no. You got it right. You called me and said, whoa, I don't know, but I'm willing to listen. That's sympathy. Empathy. Right. Okay. I'm a married man, Caleb. Empathy is when I tell my wife, this is how you fix your problems. And she wants to punch me in the face. That is, not, I need sympathy for her, uh, not empathy. Don't give her empathy right now. Right. She needs sympathy. Yeah. And and that that right there, that clip is going to be powerful. I think I think we can learn across the board um, to sit, lay lay our own biases aside and listen. And I think that one piece, regardless of who you are and what issue, that that's a game changer in itself. Um, so thank you. Uh, let's let's move on to money, and and in the same theme, one of the things that I see, and this this may this may be controversial, but I think it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, is it true that most people are stuck because of money? You could say that we are the institutions are are truly controlling many people in the way that they're they have to work for money. They don't understand what? how to use it as a tool, and. It's interesting, man, because it's like, yes, there we can say certain things, we can pass certain laws, but in the, the perfect example is we can pass laws, but we still see unjustness going on. Just like slavery's not a thing anymore, yet you could look at people that are literally working for money and hate their life and feeling stuck, and you could you could say that there that's a form of slavery. What's your big picture on money? And then I really want to dive into your idea of the cash compound and the education that you guys are doing, because I just, I love how proactive you are and how you're articulating certain things um, ab about money. Yeah, man, it's, it's a big thing. Yeah. Money is holding a lot of us back because we don't understand it. Right. So you and I are both students of Nelson Nash's um, program, his book, his ideology, and um, we weren't using it as tools until we understood it better. And uh, when most people don't understand it as a tool, and here's another thing, we find people and what we do and what you do in debt all the time. And what we don't realize is that other people are using that tool, that credit card they gave you as a tool for them to get wealthy. We're not using the tools the right way. The tools are all there for all of us. We live in the 21st century. When I Google something, they don't know if I'm black or white. You know, I can get access to information, but we don't know how to use the tools. Right. So let's use the tools to serve us and serve our families and serve our communities. We can do that, but we've got to get our eyes open to a few things. So you're exactly right. That's how I'm viewing it. I'm also viewing um, viewing it as um, a responsibility a responsibility that I have. When you look at the black community as a culture, you're able to pass on wealth the way black people were not able to, not able to own land. Remember to vote in this country when it first started as a new entity, late 1700s, it was land that allowed you to vote. You could pass land on. Well, I have a question for you. Were black people even allowed to, even allowed on the script to own it? 
No, they weren't even allowed to own it. See, that's where the wealth comes. Now you look at potential real estate that you can pass. So we don't think of it as land as much as we think of it about maybe the building of the land. So real estate, right? We're not an agrarian society anymore. So we're looking at passing those things on. And most people uh, historically, um, obviously, because I got the person out there who's thinking, well, my family was white and poor, so I don't have to listen to you. That's not what we're saying here. What we're saying is historically the opportunity for people who are in the majority dominant culture racially have had the opportunity to start where their parents left off. But in the black community, you start over with zero. There was nothing to pass. There was no money to give on. So what we're doing, I know what you're doing, what you guys are doing is, is very similar to what I'm doing. We're teaching people how to use it as a tool and to keep it rather than give it away to those third parties, to give it away to the credit card companies, to give it away to the financing charges. We're showing people, no matter of race and color and background, how to re-educate themselves on the tool and use it for wealth, better wealth, better families, better communities. And it goes back to generationally as well. If you can, if every generation can start off stronger, um, that's that's incredible. You have a beautiful family. As a, as a father, how are you teaching your children? Like, what what kind of money sense are you teaching them? I know they're young. But when it comes to, and I don't even want to talk about high level, like strategies, like infinite banking. I want to talk about like sure. money basics, like one, money 101. What do your kids need to know by the age of 18 so that they can, they can have a strong, you know, understanding of how to, how to use money as a tool. They need to understand one of the things my kids are younger. So they're six and four. And of course there's age appropriate things to teach kids. And I've got an infant who, you know, doesn't know the difference between me and the wall currently. So, you know, <laughs> you know, age appropriateness. But one thing that I think as I navigate young children into growth is number one is there's something that I'm going to teach you. I'm not going to wait for the government to do it or the teachers or someone else. There's things that I want to teach you about money because I need you to handle it. And I think in a, in a historic sense of a, of a cultural context of people who went to Sunday school like myself, how about this word? Steward, I need you to be able to know how to take care of it. That's what I need you to understand. So I need you to know how to take care of it. So when you had your birthday during coronavirus last month and you got 20 bucks from, you know, a dollar from everybody in, in the neighborhood, and you got $20, your job is to take care of it. Not your job is to save it or spend it. Your job is to take care of it first. And these are the things you do to take care of it, whether it's giving, whether it's waiting, whether it's buying something, but you need to take care of it. So I think that mindset might be helpful to other people. We're trying it now in my family and we're learning and, and my kids are watching me grow up, right? That my kids are watching me grow up. And so yeah. hopefully the idea of you, we've got things that we're going to help you understand how to take care of. I yep. want you to take care of your toys. I want you to take care of your bike and put it underneath and get it out of the road so it doesn't get rained on, doesn't get taken. I want you to take care of it. And maybe money is very similar. You know, I, th I see, I just go back to the theme of valuing something, but understanding that value has a long-term effect and a short-term effect. And even going back to what we were talking about, like there, there's a, finding a right solution is not just going to like solve all your problems it's consistency over time. Right. And mm -hmm. if you, if we can get people to start realizing that every decision they make with their time, money, and abilities will not just show up today, but will have generational like mm -hmm. impact that that's, that's big. Um, coming from a big picture. And I know that we opened up this whole conversation with like politic. This is not political. What is the solution big picture? Because I'm very much aware that there is poverty in our country. And yet I also am aware that our country is spending money that's out of control. Right. Um, and so from a big picture wise, when you take this idea of lack of financial literacy, what do you what are you pushing on? Because I know your your you know, your cash compound is incredible. You guys teach a lot of the things that we teach you're talking about compound interest and uh, debt and I'm I'm excited to just do some collaborations with you on on that but when it comes to like taking a step back for majority of people how can our country get people to understand this whole money conversation 
Well, man, you get me. I'm not trying to run for office or get it right. I just have theories, okay? I have theories. If you hate everything I've said at the end of this podcast, everybody, just write Caleb off completely. Okay, so my uh, some of my theories are um, a personal responsibility of understanding how um, <laughs> how spending, saving, debt, cash flow works. Cash flow. So our mantra over at the Cash Compound, the platform we've created is cracking the code to cash flow, okay? And we think that that's a powerful way to say that. And uh, so I think it's understanding cash flow. You can't spend yourself out of holes. You cannot borrow yourself, um, third party borrow yourself to wealth. It's not how it works. Cash flow is very important to understand. It's also very uh, important to understand um, how to trade money for other valuable things. So poor people buy stuff, you know, uh, rich people, uh, you know, poor people teach their kids to buy things. Um, rich people teach their kids to sell things. Mm-hmm. Wealthy people teach their kids to acquire things. So where I live, I'm, I'm about an hour away from the Biltmore estate, the largest private home in the U.S., Biltmore, Vanderbilt, um, the third, you know, uh, built this castle and he's got it in the mountains of Asheville, North Carolina and family six generations later still owns it. They control it. And now it's a tourist destination where you can go and take a tour. Many of you know about it or have been there. And the family lives on property all around. And what they do is they go to meetings and they re- they, they reframe their attention on make sure we eat the fruit of the tree and we don't cut the tree down. What they understand is how to use it as a tool. So if you look it up and think it's public information, they make, I don't know, $15 million on that property every year. And I don't know, split it between five brothers for all I know, whoever's in the family, but they're using things as tools to serve them because we got to consume all the time. I got to buy my, call my kids, the adventure squad. We got to consume stuff. We got to eat lunch. We got to consume things, but how are, you know, how are we generating wealth? Not just buying things, not just being rich and teaching our kids to, uh, um, uh, sell, which is a good skill. Yeah. Wealth is acquiring and managing. Is it not? So there yeah. we go. That's I, all I got. I That's it. I have a phrase, uh, asset-based activities, and it's like finding the activities that you can do with your time, money, and abilities that can best give you the results that you want, which could be cash flow, could be money, could be status, could be giving you in a position to make more money. Um, I love that whole idea, and I, I just want to rephrase what you're saying to make sure I got it right. So so poor people buy things. Uh, and then, well, poor people teach their kids to buy things. Okay. And of course, poor people are probably doing that unconsciously, right? They just teach their kids to consume stuff. Okay. And then rich people, rich people teach their kids how to sell things. Wealthy people teach their kids how to acquire things, how to acquire things, how to manage things. Yes. So the, the question I have for, for the audience, really the people that are listening to this is like, what skills do you need to acquire? What assets do you need to acquire? What 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 do you need to acquire in your life to get you in that situation? And how can you teach your kids that? That's my question for you, man. Um, how do you teach okay. your kids on having that acquisition, you know, mindset? Because going back, I'll say one other thing. I, one another thing that I teach is you are your greatest asset. And so the best investment you can make is in yourself first and foremost, and that will bleed into every other area. So agreed. There you go. Agreed. And and yeah, man. And, and I think we got some questions here popping up, too. So don't let me go too long. So first off, I would say um, I'm not sure if I can see him or not. But first thing I would say about teaching it to my, my kids is modeling it myself. Right. Getting better every day. So what are the things that are going to get me to my goals if everything else stays exactly the same status quo? The equilibrium does not change. What is the one thing that I need to think about getting better at to change everything? I think that's huge. That's my, like the 80 20 principle. Everything stays the same except what to get better. And for most people, I think that first step actually might be personal responsibility in business ownership. So to acquire money and wealth, it might be business ownerships. It's not just trading your time for your money in a job. 
So I think for the most, and in a, in a 21st century world, in a time where black, white, brown, fat, skinny, gay, straight, you can be in charge by being in business and to understand that you're in business. Okay. So that is a general term because being in business means different, a couple of different things potentially, but get in business. Okay. And so now we're moving toward rich. Are we not? Because business people sell stuff. They have time, they have services, they have products. Okay. And those things are trade for money. Yeah. And then those, that money buys and acquires things they can manage. Right. So I think there is a possibility to jump over that hoop from a kind of a person who's working um, and, and getting paid a salary or something like that. But you need to think of yourself as a business and you need to use what they give you for your time and your trade. If you're not in business, in business, you need to use what they give you for your time and your trade money to then jump to the next level. So we have a caste system here that you can move throughout the ranks in this country. That We still have that. I do not believe that the government uh, has got all control. I do not believe that um, you can't move. I do believe there's information and resources available to most people in most places that can learn the skills to move. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, ask you a question from YouTube, from Anna, and then I have one other question that we need to wrap up. So Anna um, asked this. She said, uh, weird uh, two-message question, but what are your thoughts on people needing multiple jobs to pay for basic everyday needs and slash or higher education questions? So that's question number one. Do you think having multiple jobs is um, is right, or do you think that people should be able to survive off a single job I know many young people that need several jobs to even pay for college to get better jobs. And I don't know, that seems wrong. And then she also said, additionally, as a young person breaking into uh, the theater world, awesome. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, what is the best way to find success and wealth in an industry known for not making much money? That that uh, that could be a whole segment. So let's try to answer <laughs> it in minutes. And then I have okay. one other and then we got we got to wrap up. But Anna, thank you so much, number one, for listening, watching, and asking questions. Okay, Anna, a couple things here, and of course, hey, hit me up outside of this if you need to. I'd love to help you. I do a lot of speaking. Okay, I've been on stage a lot. I make money doing it, actually. So this is one thing I said, Anna. First, on, let me ask you something, Anna. Anna, whose job is it to make sure your dreams come true? Is it mine? Is it Caleb's job? It, it, oh, maybe it's the current administration's job to make sure your dreams come true. Is that how this works? So let me ask you that. Secondly, is since when did I need a college education to do what I did this week? I've been busier this week than ever before during the COVID epidemic because I stayed in motion. I bet Caleb teaches about keeping money in motion. I bet you wouldn't drink from water that was not in motion. I was in motion. So why don't you stay in motion? Okay. So here's the thing. I'm, is it someone else's job to discover you? I'm now talking about being an entertainer, an actor. Is it someone else's job to discover you? Or did you already discover you and now you need to tell us? So I discovered me downtown on the street. <laughs> and then I just told you by posting it. Okay. And then Caleb, for whatever reason, saw value there. Okay. So now more specifically about this. Now, I don't think that it's the government's responsibility to give you a job at all. I, I don't think that's what it read it. We, the people in order to perform a perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote general welfare and secure the blessings of Liberty. Are they supposed to give you a job? Are they supposed to give you a car? Are they supposed to give you clothes? Anna, you're in the right place today. I think it's your job. And you know what? I'm here to help you. I'm another person. We the people. I'm another person. Maybe I can help you. And if I can't help you, move on to Caleb. Caleb's nicer than me. He'll help you. Okay? So the, the, maybe that helps you understand. Now, there are evils in our society and confusion, but whose responsibility is it, Anna? Who, who, which person is supposed to be getting you what you want? I think it's you. I think it's you. Man, I, I love that message because it's very empowering and it, it helps us take responsibility in in a, a broken world, but still the the opportunity is and 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 being 
alive right now and having time and energy and having abilities is is an incredible skill set. Um, Anna replied and said mine. So thank you for that. I want to end with this. Dude, I could talk to you all day long. This will not be the last time you're on the show. Um, but my my final question is, this is your last day on earth. You're with your your kids, your wife. What is what is what one thing that you're going to pass down to them that you you have with your your life experience to date? Um, number one is, well, it's kind of like this maybe. God loves you. And you know I love you, but the job, my job is over. Your your turn to take over. I told you, and I lived my life, and I helped you understand even by things like finances, which the tools that we have, and what I'm leaving for you. You always knew your job was to take care of it after I'm gone. So I'm done. Your turn. So God loves you. He wants God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you, and my job is done. Your job now. You should know it by now. It, I, I love you, man. I, I'm grateful for your uh, willingness to come on and, and how can people reach out to you, follow you and, um, and just stay connected to the work that you're doing. 10 I appreciate it, man. So specifically in what we teach in money, like Caleb has mentioned is the cash compound.com. So if you want to hit us up on Instagram, for instance, at the cash compound at the cash compound my name is either jdu like you might see on the screen or jeremiah okay that's my full name and um me and my brother have a great educational platform there um me and caleb may be working together very soon on several collaborative efforts to help you guys financially and if you want to hit me up personally in some aspect or you like what i'm doing potentially uh, in the world of speaking um sometimes on money it's at its jdu at I-T-S-J-D-E-W, like you see here. We'd love to connect. It, appreciate it again, man. We will stay in touch. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we could pull this off. I, I also want to just shout out to uh, Mariah and Jason for be, being behind the scenes and helping us pull off this live interview. Um, it's cool to see technology and, and the things that can happen. So, Thank you, guys. Be strong out there. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.